It's once again my privilege and pleasure to be able to come and present the Word of God and to preach and hopefully uh, offer you a blessing. Uh, Sunny, it shouldn't be a stormy message, I I hope, Uh, but hopefully it's a message that does uplift uh, and does bless everyone who's here. So before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come in the name of Jesus and we thank you that we can worship you and we thank you that wherever we are, you are with us, for your spirit dwells within us. And may your spirit continue to speak words of encouragement. May your spirit continue to lift us up. And Father, may as we leave here this morning, we walk out more blessed than when we arrived, because we have encountered you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have been working through a series on Romans uh, once a month, I have the privilege to come and preach, and so uh, this is the third month, meaning we're up to Romans 3. So it's taking us a while, there's 15 chapters in Romans, so um, my kids were doing the maths the other day, so it'll take us over a year to get through it, uh, they tell me, but uh, at, we're currently at Romans 3. Now I want to say before we get into it, we're not going to go through and expound the whole chapter, because there's a lot in this chapter. But what we are going to do is look at some key points that hopefully will uh, help you as you go and read the chapter, uh, as you to help you understand the chapter and also to help be, bless you uh, this week. There are aspects in this chapter that have been covered previously and some uh, things that I'll talk about today that will push on into chapter 4 as well. So um, just want to let you know that we're not going to go through the entire chapter. But a bit of revision. We're, as I said, chapter 3 we're up to, so... Um, remember, Romans chapter 1 has the key verse, verse, verses in it. Uh, Romans 1 verses 16 and 17. This is a key verse for the entire book of Romans. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not, ashamed, not only I'm not ashamed, but I am for, uh, I am going to advocate the story about Jesus, the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ I'm not ashamed about. But I am for it. I'm going to stand boldly for it um, because in it is life. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. It is the power. If you are looking for the power of God, look no further than the message of Jesus Christ. Look no further than the story. Look no further than the words and the person of Jesus Christ. Because in it is the power of God to salvation. Now remember salvation. We've looked at this. Um, Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven as is sometimes talked about. But salvation in its entirety. In all the blessings in which we get to walk through this life. Uh, in all that the Father gives to us in Jesus Christ, salvation in its fullness is what he's talking about here. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, what we're going to be looking at today in chapter 3 is that component of in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is a key component because according to the Jews, their righteousness was determined by what they did. But Paul is saying the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us not by what we do, but by faith. 
And that is a central point in the message of Jesus. And he then goes on and he says, uh, to quote a verse in chapter 3, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, doesn't matter if you're Gentile, doesn't matter if you have the law, doesn't matter if you don't have the law. We are all sinners and none of us have sought after God. Effectively, what he's saying is God has sought after us. And this is where we pick it up. Now, Paul took a preemptive strike at the Jews, uh, who he knows will contend that they are different because they have the law, because they have the covenant with God. And we discussed that last week, and he said, no, 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 I know you stand on the law, but because of you, because you judge others by the law, a standard that you yourself cannot keep, the name of God is blasphemed among all the world. And so he says, you're just sinners like everyone else, and we all therefore need Jesus Christ. And this is where we pick up in Romans 3. Now, I said there's a lot in Romans chapter 3. We're not going to be able to expound it all. And so I want to pick it up in Romans 3, verse 20. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, follow along, please. And as I said, I know I'm going to stray somewhat into chapter 4 as well, but I think this is really important to understand here. So Romans 3, verse 20. He says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, meaning the Father's sight, God's sight. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, I want to contend that there are many Christians and many preachers out there who do not understand this verse. Too many people actually think that it is you're saved by Jesus, but once you come into a loving relationship with Jesus, you then follow the law and you then work in the law and work under the law. But I want to take us to, to help us understand this concept. I actually want us to go back and actually understand the law and the context in which it was originally given. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 19. And here we have uh, the Israelite nation, and they've been carried out of Egypt. They've been saved from Egypt, and they've been brought to the mount or the base of Mount Sinai. And here we have, um, and Moses in verse 3, so chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, and we'll start at chapter, verse 3. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. So this is what he is to tell the people of Israel in verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. And so what God is saying, you've seen that I redeemed you. You saw that you were in bondage in Egypt, and I brought you out. I delivered you and I have brought you to safety. I carried you on eagle's wings to where to myself. I brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. I just want to stop there because it talks to some key word here that we need to understand. It says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. I want to ask the question, which covenant is he talking about here? When the father speaks, when Yahweh speaks to Moses, which covenant is he actually talking about? He's actually talking about the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that's already been set in place back in Genesis He's not referring to the covenant that is about to be instituted 
uh, which we will understand in a second. But he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And so for us to understand what he's asking them to commit to, we need to now go back. It's like unraveling a little mystery here, isn't it? We need to go back into Genesis to understand the Abrahamic covenant. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, if you will, please. And here we have... um, chapter 12 verse 1 where God is going to make a covenant with Abraham and he now the Lord said to Abram I just want to point here his name at this point in time is not Abraham it's Abram so God changes his name later to be Abraham but currently it's Abram now just a little tidbit of information which I think is um really exciting and and great what God does when he changes his name from Abram to Abraham is he actually puts the letters representing the Spirit of God into his name. So changes it from Abram to Abraham by putting the Spirit of God into the name. And isn't that not the same as what God does to us when we come in faith to Jesus Christ? Does he not put the Spirit of God in us as well? That's just a a little side bit. And Sari, Abram's wife, the same thing happens there. He puts the Spirit of God into the name and changes it to Sarah. Uh, So there you go. But currently his name is Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. It's expounded upon in various other places in Genesis. But this is the first time that that covenant is actually stated of what God is going to do to Abraham. Now I'm going to read it again and listen to what it is that God requires of Abraham throughout the whole thing and what God says he's going to do. So now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What did it require of Abraham, that covenant? It required him to go, yes. It required faith from Abraham. It required Abraham to believe. It required him faith to go, faith to trust. Other than that, this covenant required absolutely nothing of Abraham. Notice the words of the Lord, I will. This covenant required faith from Abraham and everything else was going to be done by Yahweh, done by the Lord. For it continuously says, I will. This is what I will do. You respond to me by faith and I will. If we flick back um, to Exodus now, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. What's he saying? What, what do we have to do to keep his covenant? He's saying to the people, if you will continuously respond to me by faith. By faith. If you will continuously respond to me by faith, 
I will make you a great nation. You will be a special treasure to me. You will be above all people. What do I require of you? Faith. Now, again, I'm going to flick back to Genesis 15. Uh, just to make this point again, Genesis 15, verse 6. And this is where the Lord has come to Abraham and said to him, um, he's just, Abraham has just come back from defeating the kings in war. He's just met Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Um, and the Lord says to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And just a side note there, note that the Lord says, Do not be afraid, firstly. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What does the world say? They say, get your reward, protect your reward, and then you don't have to be afraid. They flip and reverse exactly what God says, because he says, don't be afraid. First and foremost, don't be afraid. I'll protect you, then your reward comes. The world says it the other way around, doesn't it? But anyway, that's what the Lord said. And then Abram said to uh, the father, he says, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, no one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "This, the one in your that is currently there shall not be your heir, verse 4, but one whom I will give you, whom will come from your body, shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven now and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be, verse 6, And he, meaning Abraham, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What did Abraham do to be accounted righteous? He believed. What had he physically done? Nothing. Not a thing. He had faith to believe. He believed. That is what he was calling the people in Moses' time to believe, to have faith, to believe in my covenant. So the context of that is when he, in Exodus when he was talking to the nation of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai he says now if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant if you will continue to have faith in me then I will but if we flick down to verse 8 of Exodus 19 the people answered because Moses came they called the elders and he said spoke the words that he was asked to speak and then the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And on the surface, it sounds like they're responding in faith, doesn't it? But it's not. The words that are spoken are prideful words. The words that are spoken are words that says, Yes, whatever you ask of us, we can do in our own strength. Whatever you speak to us, we will do ourselves. Their response was one of pride. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do in our steam, in our strength. We have the ability on our own. Their response was one of doing it in their own flesh. And then, and then at that point in time, we see that God introduces the law. He says, if you think that you can work your way to my righteousness. If you think you can do it and get my righteous blessings, then I will reveal to you my righteous standards. And he unveils the law. In that context, if you want to do it yourself, with your own self-efforts, here is my standard. And he then gives them the law. 
And here we have an important point. When he introduces the law at the response of pride, at the response of self-effort, at the response of forgetting the words of the Lord, that faith is credited as righteousness. And this point Paul is going to continue to make throughout the book of Romans. And it's like a maths equation. So the law equals, and we'll be able to change the words throughout Romans, law reflects self-effort, which reflects works, which reflects self. So anytime you see one of those four words, you can replace it with one of the other. Because the nation of Israel at that point in time was saying, we will do it in our strength. And so God says, if you want to do it in your strength, here's my righteous requirements. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Under the law, it is dependent on what you do or do not do. That's the law. That's what it was given for. And in fact, if we go back to Romans chapter 3, it actually says, Romans 3 verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Why was the law given? To reflect their own sinful standard. And to say, this is my requirement and this is where you are. You want to do it by yourself? You can't. You just physically cannot. By the law, no, no flesh will be justified. For by it is the knowledge of sin. Why did God constitute the law? To reveal their own sinful nature. To reveal their desperate need for a saviour. To reveal that they can not. That is why the law was given. To reveal that they cannot. In Exodus 32, the day that Moses came down from the mountain with the law written on the tablets, the law that the Lord himself had written, on the very day that he walked down from the mountain there, in Exodus chapter 32, what was Moses confronted with? He was confronted with them having already broken the law, of them having already turned their back on their God. After they had made the bold statement, Yahweh, whatever you ask of us, we will do. Moses goes up the mountain to get the law. And what do the people do? They come to Aaron. And I'll read it to show that I'm not making this up. Now the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods. That, we sh that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he, meaning Aaron, he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The very day Moses comes down with the law, they have already broken the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. This is your God, this calf that brought you out of, out of Egypt. The second commandment, you shall make for yourself 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image. What did Aaron, the high priest, do? Made a carved image and said, this is your God. And Moses comes down from the mountain. And in Aaron's response in Exodus chapter 32, verse 21, Moses goes to Aaron and says to Aaron, he says, why did this people, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? So Moses goes and says, these people, this nation that we've brought out of Egypt, what have they done to you that you would do this? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, that their hearts are set on evil. So here Aaron who fashioned the calf and said, this is your God, he says, hang on, it's the people. It's the people, they're evil. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard that elsewhere in Scripture? It's, it's the people, their, their hearts are set on evil. And then he says, for they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, and again this is Aaron speaking, and I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they, gave, so they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire. What he's saying, he's trying to set it up to say, those people, they're evil. And so I said to them, break your golden earrings off and give them to me. And when they did, I cast it into the fire. Right? And then, so they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. And this calf came out. I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. But if we go back and read the story, he physically fashioned the calf as it went into the fire. So we have this context where even the high priest has completely walked away. We have a nation that says, we will do whatever you ask for us, God. Whatever. We, we can do it in our strength. And days later, they've turned their back on him and they've made a golden calf. And they've said, this is what we're going to worship. This is what we're going to worship. Aaron distorts the truth. In Exodus 32, verse 28, the very day that the law was given, 3,000 people were killed. 3,000 people perished on the very day that the law was given. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law, no flesh will be justified. Romans 3, verse 21, the immediately next verse. Therefore, by the verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh uh, will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now, but now. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, but now. So the law reveals sin. The law will not justify, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So here Paul is saying there is righteousness in the law. Don't get me wrong. There is a righteousness in the law because it's God's righteous requirement. You can never try and attain that righteous requirement because by your effort you will never be able to meet that righteous requirement. You can never be justified. You can never be self-righteous by what you do because you will never, ever, ever be able to meet the requirements or fill the requirements of the law. But now the, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophet. You see, it is greater. This new one that reveals is greater than the righteousness of the law because the law is a witness to it. Note also, if you want to be made righteous under the law, it will require of you. It will require of you. If you want to become righteous under the law, it will require of you. It will require you to fulfill the law in its entirety. Not partially, in its entirety. And no one, no one can do that. But a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed, which is greater than the law, as the law is a witness to it, the law points to it, as do the prophets. So what is this righteousness that's been revealed apart from the law? It is the righteousness of God through faith. The righteousness of the law is revealed in your doing, in your works. But this is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Who, When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all of his blessings, all that he did to fulfill the law is placed upon you your you place your faith in Jesus he ensures that his act of completing the law is given to you so that you can stand before the father in heaven completely justified completely cleansed completely righteous this righteousness that is revealed other than the law is a righteousness that is revealed In Jesus Christ, because he has completely fulfilled the law and done what you and I could never do. Could never do. And when scripture, as a side note, when scripture talks about falling from grace, when scripture talks about falling from grace, we often hear people say that it's falling from grace into sin. That is not what scripture actually says. Because what scripture says is when you fall into sin, that grace is revealed exceedingly abundantly more. It actually says when you fall from grace, you fall under the law. You fall from grace into the law. You fall from acknowledging that your righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and you fall to a place that he says, now I am going to earn my righteousness. Now I am going to do self-righteousness. Now I'm going to do it in my flesh, in my works, in my ability. See, you've fallen from grace or it's given to you to now where you have to earn it. The law requires all of you. The law requires all of you. Grace requires nothing of you, but required all of Jesus Christ. Required all of Jesus Christ. By the law, no flesh is justified. By faith in Jesus, all are redeemed. Where do you want to sit? Do you want to rest in the law or do you want to rest in Jesus Christ? Paul contends in Romans chapter 2, he says to the Jewish nation in verse 17, he says, indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law. And he's saying, but it does you no good. He's calling us to rest in Jesus Christ where it has all been done for us. 
And that is why I can stand here and say with no shadow of a doubt that you and I, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, are the most righteous people who have ever walked the face of the earth. There is no one who is more righteous than you or I. And nothing that you do or don't do can make you more or less righteous. Because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are clothed in. And if you now say, I'm saved by Jesus on one hand, but now I have to live under the law, what you are actually saying is that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is not enough. And I don't believe that any of you will ever say that. But that is what is being said when we say we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but now I have to go and live under the law and place myself under the law. And I want to take it a step further and I want to say there are Christians, well-meaning Christians out there who believe just that and I want to say that some of them are the most miserable people I've ever met in my life because they live, they are justified by faith and they see the promises but then they feel so condemned as they look to the law and as the law reflects back to them their own sinfulness and Satan uses it. The Bible says that the law, Paul says further on, and I'm not going to jump there right now, says that it is a weapon, it is a tool that Satan uses to condemn us. But in Jesus Christ there is now, therefore, now no condemnation, Romans 8.1. In Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. Romans 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Continuing on, Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as appropriation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Can I ask in that passage of scripture that I just read, what did it say about you? Nothing. It is all about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way, the covenant with Abraham is all about what the Lord will do and required nothing but faith of Abraham. So too, faith in Jesus Christ sees that it is all done by Jesus. This is good news, people. This is good news. This is something not to be ashamed of. This is something to stand for because Jesus Christ has done it all and requires nothing of us but faith. Continuing on with Romans 3, verse 27, it says, Where is boasting then? So if the previous passage is all about Jesus Christ, his redemption, what he has done, how he has justified us, how he has redeemed us, how he has fulfilled the law, Paul says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Because you see, if we did something that made us righteous, 
If we worked and did something to make us righteous, we can boast about that. We can be proud of that. We can have, we can have pride. But there is nothing that we have done other than have faith. And so then, where is boasting? It can't exist because it is all Jesus Christ. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now, as I said earlier, there was an equation which is law equals self-effort equals works equals flesh. I want to reveal to you another equation that we see here. The law of faith equals grace equals Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 17 says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law of faith is grace, is Jesus Christ. The law has been established as Jesus completely fulfilled it. So where is boasting that it's been excluded? By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Can Paul make it any clearer that we are not under the law, that we do not need to try and fulfill the law because we, it will not justify us. We are justified by faith apart from that. And if anyone ever tells you differently, you need to come back and read Romans 3 and see what Paul says and says no. Because you need that truth sunk in your heart that you will not be swayed that you are not justified by the law. For the law, verse 20, for the law is the knowledge of sin and we are not justified by the law, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Again saying, or can, are we really only justified by the law? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, meaning the Jews, by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? That's a question that I've been asked a long time, a lot. So if we don't have to sit under the law, have we just made it void? Did God make a mistake? What was the point of him sending the law then? If you're saying we don't need to fulfill it, then are you saying he stuffed up? He made a mistake. What does Paul say? Do we do we then make the law? Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. How is the law being established if I am saying, if not I, if Paul is saying that we don't need to live under it. How are we establishing the law? Because the law has been established as Jesus completely fulfilled it. As he knew we never could. Then he, through faith in him, gave us his righteousness, thereby completely fulfilling the law. If you now try and hold to the law, Scripture, if you now try and hold to the law, then you fall from grace and you put yourself back under the law. If you now try and hold to the law, you're saying what Jesus has done is not enough. And you fall from grace, for grace is higher. 
Grace is greater. Grace is better. Grace is stronger. Grace is more blessed. And we are more blessed for Jesus did for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. And that is faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us look briefly at what happened on the day when the Holy Spirit was given as a seal of the promise of salvation, as a seal of the promise of grace. Remember, when the law was given that very day, 3,000 people perished. When the Holy Spirit was given that very day, 3,000 souls were redeemed. 3,000 souls were saved. We have a choice. We can sit in and rest in the law which reveals our sinful nature or we can sit and rest in the salvation of Jesus Christ who has done all, done everything, completed it and we can have his righteousness that is not dependent upon you or I. Let us rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ that reveals the righteousness of God and allows us to be freely justified by his grace. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. What Paul is also adding there, although he doesn't explicitly say it, he says he will rest in Jesus and the good news of Jesus, not on his own works, not in his own ability, not in his own fleshly ability, not in works, not in the law, not in his ability to fulfill the law, but he will rest in through faith in Jesus Christ. For he cannot be justified through the law, but in Jesus Christ, you and I are freely justified. We are freely blessed. We have salvation. In the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power for salvation. I hope these words are words of blessing. I hope these words encourage you. I hope these words as you go this day Lift a burden from you. And remember, in Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, it is done. We thank you for the words of Jesus when he was on the cross, when he said, it is finished. Not meaning my life here on earth is finished, but I have done and fulfilled all that you have asked me. And it is finished. The law has been completed. It is done. And I thank you, Father, that by us putting faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that those words, it is finished, are true. By us putting faith in him to say, yes, we believe in him, that he is our Saviour that we become righteous and we no longer need to do it on our own. We no longer need to try and become righteous. We just are in Jesus. Father, this week as we go, may we walk in the lightness that comes when we know we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. Lift from us all burdens. Heal us of any sickness or disease. For the power of salvation is in the words and the life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his holy name we pray. Amen.
Let us stand and sing our closing song. Let the Lord have his way. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to you all. Let us close with the benediction. May God's blessing.